0: Look around and you're likely to find quite a few traces of ancient Rome persisting to this day. Our governments utilize many aspects of the Roman Republic, such as checks and balances, vetoes, and trials by jury. The vulgar Latin that the Romans spoke influenced the languages that later developed in other countries, such as France and Italy, hence their classification as Romance Languages. And the modern aqueducts of places like Los Angeles and Germany were heavily inspired by the Roman versions of old that carried water to the people. But not everything from ancient Rome stuck around. And that's probably a good thing. Perhaps the biggest concept, in both size and level of danger, is the Colosseum. Of course, we have arenas and stadiums today. Giant, sprawling sporting venues that showcase everything from football games to monster truck rallies. The Colosseum, on the other hand, was home to all manner of events, both sporting and deadly. Chariot races, animal hunts, gladiatorial battles, and public executions were all held within the high walls of the enormous Roman amphitheater. But one event was only put on a handful of times, and for good reason, as it was a logistical nightmare for everyone involved. The first such instance was held around 46 BC, and it was called Namakia It came about after Julius Caesar had just returned from successfully defeating armies in Gaul and Egypt. He demanded a celebration be held in his honor. But this would be no ordinary party. He ordered an artificial lake to be constructed near the Tiber River. It was to measure 1,800 feet long by 1,200 feet wide with marble seats for an audience of dignitaries and wealthy elites. Once the lake was filled with water, A dozen Roman galleys were launched, helmed by crews of thousands. The ships then carried on a full-scale naval sea battle for the entertainment of the Emperor. As you can imagine, putting on such a massive demonstration took teams of thousands to build the lake and then stage the Namachia. It wasn't something that could happen all the time, but when the Colosseum was finally completed around 80 AD, Emperor Titus saw no better way to break it in than with another naval battle. He had the Colosseum flooded and brought in ships with flat bottoms so they wouldn't scrape against the ground in the shallow waters. Historians believed that the smaller size of the arena meant that full-size ships weren't used. Instead, replicas were most likely constructed to fit within the space more easily. This fight, however, was different than the one staged by Caesar, in that Titus added something new. An island. A small piece of land was constructed in the center of the Colosseum so that fighters, comprised of prisoners and men sentenced to death, could jump from the ships and engage in hand-to-hand combat for the audience's amusement. This first pageant was a reenactment of an ancient sea battle between Athens and Syracuse. Six years later, another naval battle was put on, possibly the last ever seen at the Colosseum. Heavy rains flooded the stadium as the festivities were going on. All the fighters were killed, as were many audience members in attendance. After the tragedy, the floor of the Colosseum was redone and a series of rooms were built beneath it, making it impossible to fill the structure with water ever again. Given the expense of putting them on and the manpower required, Namakia eventually fell out of favor with the Empire. Instead, the Colosseum became a venue for various forms of combat-focused entertainment. Over the next 400 years, gladiatorial fights gave way to more practical uses for the space— The Colosseum became a fortress during times of war, a quarry, and was even picked apart by builders in need of materials. It was damaged heavily by an earthquake in 1379, but it still stands today. The Roman Colosseum is considered one of the new Seven Wonders of the World, alongside the Great Wall of China and the ancient city of Petra in Jordan. And for good reason. It's still here after almost 2,000 years. And it will probably be here for another 2,000, as long as nobody leaves the water
1: running.
0: When we think of the great characters of mythology, we think of Greek gods like Zeus and Athena, or the Norse gods such as Thor and Odin. But mythology isn't something that only lives in the past. Turn on a television show or open up a book written in the last hundred years, and entire worlds of modern mythos are open to us. From Narnia to Middle Earth to Westeros, these places and characters were created from minds that could not let them go. It wasn't about fame or fortune, but of creativity and inspiration. Well, except for one. One of the most famous characters we know today started out as a gimmick, but quickly grew into a beloved hero for children and adults all over the world. And it all started with one man, Roy Thomas Jr. Thomas was born in Jackson, Missouri in 1940. He grew up an avid reader, mostly of comic books, and even wrote and illustrated his own to hand out to his friends. As he got older, he attended Southeast Missouri State University, graduated in 1961 with a Bachelor of Science in Education. Thomas was a history major with a teaching degree, the perfect combination for someone who wanted to create modern myths for young readers. But he couldn't make and publish books on his own for a living. Instead, he moved to New York City, where he got a job as an assistant to Mort Wessinger at DC Comics. Mort was editing Superman books at the time and invited Thomas to work for him for a few weeks to see how things went. Long story short, it was rough. Mort was difficult to work for, with Thomas often returning to his hotel at night in tears. He knew that he wanted to work in publishing, but this wasn't it, so he wrote to the editor-in-chief of another publisher. The funny thing about that letter, however, was that he didn't ask for a job. He merely gushed about his love for the work that publisher was doing and offered to buy the man a drink, hoping for the best. Meanwhile, Roy had an iron in another fire waiting for him, a fellowship to study foreign relations at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Even if things didn't work out in New York, at least he had a backup plan. But he didn't need it. The editor-in-chief of the other publisher had received his letter and called him up for an interview. Thomas headed over to their offices to take a writing test and was almost immediately hired as a staff writer. He bid Mort farewell, declined the fellowship from George Washington University, and started a career that would change his life, and eventually, the future of entertainment. Thomas was given a desk, a typewriter, and a job punching up various titles around the company. He stayed there through the 1960s and well into the 1970s as other writers departed for greener pastures. The company wasn't doing well, especially in international markets, and they were in need of a new hit. He then took over as editor in chief in 1972 when the man who had hired him became the head of the company. As part of his duties, Thomas was required to come up with new ideas on how to boost circulation. It was while looking at the sales numbers when he got an idea. About 5 to 10% of their readers lived in Canada, but they didn't have a character to call their own. Almost every popular title was based in the United States, so Thomas set out to give his neighbors to the north someone to cheer for and of course, to spend money on. He started thinking about animals as a basis, specifically Canadian animals. Moose weren't particularly heroic, and badgers came with a negative association due to the name being a synonym for annoying. But there was another creature, one with sharp claws, that was known to attack beasts much larger than itself without question. That provided the perfect foundation for a brand new hero, one who got his big debut, in 1974 against the Incredible Hulk. You see, Roy Thomas Jr. was editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, and he was hired by Stan Lee himself. He helped create a brand new character to boost sales in Canada, an adamantium-clawed, cigar chopping mutant from way up north who changed the face of comics forever. I'm talking, of course, about Weapon X himself, Wolverine. <laughs> you